0: Well, it's been said that a, a checkbook, what is a checkbook anyway, right? Um, but it's been said a checkbook is a theological document because you look at where the money has gone and it says something about a person's priorities. Well, I will submit to you that a calendar is also a theological document. Our schedules, our daytimers, boy, if you don't know what a checkbook is, you definitely don't know what a daytimer is, right? Uh, our, our little schedules reveal where our priorities are. And in the Psalms, it's Psalm 90, a Psalm of Moses. Moses cries out to God and says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So as we slow down and think about how we should slow down, (laughs) as we slow down and think about what we put in our schedules, we're actually doing something that We should be doing, Scripture says, to slow down and think about our days, to number our days, and to ask God through that process to give us a heart of wisdom that He would teach us in that process. And before we get into some application, I want to lay a foundation of three types of people. Turn with me to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 24. We're going to look at three types of people, starting with the lazy person the lazy person. As we consider our days and think about numbering our days, let's consider the sluggard, the slothful, as Scripture calls them, or you could say the lazy person. In Proverbs 24, we're going to start at verse 30, the last little section of that chapter, Proverbs 24. Look at what the author says here about the sluggard, starting in verse 30. It says, "'I passed by the field of the sluggard,' And by the vineyard of the man lacking sense. And behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. Its surface was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. When I saw, I reflected upon it. I looked and received instruction a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then your poverty will come as a robber, and your want like an armed man. Well, that's a dangerous way to live, isn't it? To live as the sluggard. He's in danger of poverty and want. Look at Proverbs 26, just a page or two over. Proverbs 26, starting at verse 13. More commentary on the lazy person. Proverbs 26, verse 13. The sluggard says, "'There is a lion in the road. A lion is in the open square.'" As the door turns on its hinges, so does the sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He is weary of bringing it to his mouth again. You can laugh. Scripture's funny sometimes, isn't it? Verse 16 The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can give a discreet answer. Again, very dangerous. It's actually sinful to live in such a way, to be such a sluggard. We are to avoid this type of living as those made in God's image, as those called to a higher purpose, as those who have been joined to Christ through the gospel. This doesn't reflect well on the God who made us, does it? This type of living, turning in bed like a door on its hinges. God made us for more than just lying around. And it's not just the Old Testament that talks about laziness. In the New Testament, in a couple of Paul's letters, we see this too. In Colossians 3, verse 23, Paul calls us to work hard. He says, "...whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men." If we are working for the Lord, if we think of the Lord being present as our supervisor, so to speak, which He is, how are we going to work? Well, slackers for Jesus is not a good motto, right? Right? We are to work heartily as for the Lord. And then, of course, there's this famous instruction from Paul, 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 10. I'm sure you know this one. "'For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either.'" If someone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat The Thessalonians likely had an over-realized view of the end times, thinking, well, if the Lord's coming back at any moment, what are we doing wasting our time clocking in on Monday morning? Why don't we do this or that or the other thing that takes the place of working? Well, that's not the way the Christians should live. We are called to cultivate and keep the earth as we expect the Lord's return at any moment. You see, the sluggard has no identity-driven motivation to cultivate or keep. In Genesis chapter 2, where it describes God creating Adam, He placed him in a garden. And it's important to remember this is before the fall. He put him in a garden and asked him, commanded him rather, to cultivate and to keep, to create, to maintain from the garden. Before the fall, God gave man work, gave him instruction as to what to do is he reflected the image of God in that perfect environment. So, someone who's a sluggard doesn't have that identity in mind. Someone who's a sluggard is not driven by that identity. The lazy person is not motivated by the identity that God has given us as His image bearers cultivate and to keep. And the sluggard, you could say, is lost in a sense. The lazy person, the slothful person, the one who has his hand in the checks mix and is too lazy to bring it back to his face, that person just doesn't have the identity driven motivation to work, does he? Well, let's talk about a second person, the busy person. Turn with me to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 10. Let's look at the busy person. What a funny word, busy. Luke chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 38. This is an important narrative in Luke's account. And there are so, so, so many lessons to learn from just these five verses. But, of course, we want to pay attention to Martha here, the busy person. We're thinking of the busy person now. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. It says, Now as they were traveling traveling along, he, that's Jesus, entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Great start, Martha. Verse 39, Verse 39, She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. Great start, Mary. We're doing great so far. Verse 40, but, oh boy, Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha. I, I wonder if there were three Marthas. Martha, Martha, Martha. <laughs> you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Well, again, it started off so well. Jesus comes to the house of these two women And it is pretty natural when you have a visitor that someone's going to be preparing and you don't want to leave the guest alone in the front room or wherever he may be. So someone who's available is going to sit. And in this case, of course, it's Jesus. So Mary is listening. Mary's not teaching Jesus. She's not hogging the conversation. It says she's listening. That's very good. And Martha's getting things ready. And it just seems like so natural and so good. It's very fitting what's taking place here. But then you have that, that word that starts off, verse 40, but... There was something that was off, but Martha was distracted. What a word. This is actually the best word for busy that we can use. (laughs) When, When we say we're busy, what we should often say, if there's full disclosure, is we're distracted. We're distracted people. In most of our context, we should substitute the word distracted in for the word busy. That's the truth. But she's not only distracted, did you also see in the text that she's worried. Jesus calls her out in this sense. In verse 41, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. You see, Martha's eyes weren't on Jesus as the one who was taking care of things. Her eyes were on her that she had to take care of everything. Mary's eyes were on Jesus. She was listening to Jesus. She was finding her identity in being a student of Jesus, a disciple. Well, Mary, or Martha rather, she was seeking her identity and preparing everything. What would Jesus think if this wasn't all prepared just so? I mean, can you imagine someone of a kingly stature coming to your house? You'd probably be distracted, wouldn't you? Worried and bothered. Is He going to notice that we kind of messed up on the paint up there. Is <laughs> he so going to notice that we haven't vacuumed in days, weeks. Did we ever vacuum? I, uh, distracted and worried about so many things. Martha wasn't seeing Jesus as the one who keeps all things ultimately. She wasn't seeing Jesus as the one who upholds the universe by His power, as Colossians 1 tells us. He holds all things together. Isn't that amazing? She wasn't seeing Jesus in that way. She was trying to find her identity and preparing all things just perfectly. And what is Mary doing looking at Jesus? What is Mary doing sitting there listening to Jesus? Doesn't Mary know there's so much that we need to do to uphold this house? Distracted and worried. So just as the sluggard has no identity-driven motivation to work, The distracted person seeks to find his or her identity in that cultivating and that keeping. They don't see their identity as coming before as the motivation for cultivating and keeping. But instead, I'm going to try to find my identity in that cultivating and keeping, that if I just do that well enough, people will know me as a good housekeeper. People will know me as a fill-in-the-blank, whatever distracts you, whatever causes you to worry. You're seeking your identity in something that's wrong. Whereas if you have a biblical identity, who God has made you to be, who you are in Jesus Christ, then that identity motivates you to live out a life worthy of God. That identity motivates you to live out a life that is pleasing to the Lord, to work, to keep, and to listen to Jesus and to relax. The busy person, the distracted person, puts the identity in the wrong place. Our identity motivates our actions. Our actions don't provide us our identity. Well, we've talked about the lazy person. We've talked about the busy person or the distracted person. Let's look at one more person, Jesus. Mark, chapter six. Let's go to Mark chapter six, and let's look at what Jesus did. We already saw Jesus in the narrative there speaking to Martha, but let's see how he lived his life. How did Jesus, while he walked the earth for 33 years, how did he keep a balance between laziness and busyness? How did he keep a balance between not doing anything and being ultimately distracted by everything? Well, let's look at Mark chapter 6, verse 30. This is an amazing passage, just these three verses. Well, Jesus had been keeping a very full schedule with His apostles. And it says, Mark 6, verse 30, the apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to Him all that they had done and taught. And He said to them, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. And look at this parenthetical statement here. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. Some of you have maybe had days like that recently where there's the day. I didn't even eat lunch. I didn't even eat dinner, whatever it may be. They didn't even have time to eat. So what did they do? They went to Chukarama. No, it's not what it says. Look at verse 32. They went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. Jesus led His apostles here, in seclusion, getting away by themselves, it says explicitly. And of course, if you've read through the Gospels, you've seen Jesus on many occasions get away by Himself. He would go be with the Father by Himself. He would have alone, quiet time in prayer. Of course, there were many reasons that Jesus had not to get away. In fact, He had a whole earth to reach, right? Here He was in a human body Every person on the face of the earth needs Jesus. There was a lot of reason that Jesus had to just go, go, go. But he got away. He got away. I love this account from John Piper's life. I love his conclusion. It says John Piper once sat wearily on the side of his bed trying to develop a theology of sleep. After all, he reasoned, we could do so much more for God's kingdom if we didn't have to sleep nearly a third of our lives away. Eventually, though, John concluded, sleep is a daily reminder from God that we are not God. (laughs) Isn't that so true? Now, of course, Jesus is and always will be God. Yet when Jesus took on human flesh, he did take on certain limitations in his human nature, didn't he? He slept. Remember when the boat was rocking, what was Jesus doing? He was sleeping. Jesus ate. Jesus grew, and He even learned, it said, in Scripture. He needed to sleep, eat, and get away. His human body was not omnipresent. And He gave us a great example in that human body of what we can do as those who are also not omnipresent. Sometimes the best thing we can do is slow down and get away, just like Jesus Jesus did not allow himself to become distracted, not even one time. Isn't that amazing? How overwhelmed would we be? (laughs) Finite as we are, proud as we are. How distracted would we be if we had the mission of Jesus on our shoulders and he didn't get distracted one time? In fact, we can just say plainly, following the example of Jesus means slowing down. It means slowing down. There's a great article written by Andrea Lee on self-sufficiency and why that's bad, and we'll come back to that theme in a moment. But I want to read to you this quote from her article. It says, God wants us to see His generous provision and deepen our reliance on Him every day. When we stop looking to self for fullness and start looking to God for His grace and strength, we become followers who more clearly display the matchless power and kindness of our Savior. We know, of course, that Jesus had full days. He went about from town to town. He he had a very full schedule. You could say He was busy, though He was never distracted. And yet, He also taught us how to get alone with God, didn't He? He taught us how to say, time out, we need a break. He taught us something about planning our day and scheduling time to be alone and to be in a secluded place. He slowed down and got away on His own without being slothful. He was never turning in His bed as a door on its hinges. That was never Jesus. Yet, He also lived a full life with great purpose without becoming a Martha. He was never distracted or worried about anything. So, with that foundation, let me give you two reminders, and that's what the rest of this message will be. Two reminders, especially for the distracted person or the busy person. I want to give you a couple reminders that I'll expand upon, uh, especially for those who would call themselves distracted or busy. The first reminder is this, you are responsible to steward your calendar to the glory of God. You are responsible to steward your calendar to the glory of God. In so many ways, busyness is the harmful mantra of our society, isn't it? Nothing's ever big enough, nothing's ever fast enough, nothing's ever efficient enough. Go, go, go. In fact, if you look at our vacations, I think you could agree with me that many of our vacations are hardly breaks, aren't they? (laughs) It's just taking the rat race of life and racing it on a different track, that's all it really is. Vacations are hardly vacations. Our day-to-day living reflects this harmful busyness doctrine… 62% of people in the world, they didn't ask me, so I know they skipped at least one person. I don't know where they get these numbers, but 62% of people in the world say that they don't get enough sleep. Perhaps you're one of them. A third of Americans, a recent study shows, a third of Americans say they are dissatisfied with the quality of their life. A third. One out of every three people you run into. In many of these instances, people are ruled by their selfish desires, and that creates discontentment. We're never content with our status in life. We always need more. We need the next thing. And this gets into greed. It gets into lust. And you know, by very definition, those sins are never satisfied. You can't quench greed. You can't quench lust. It's always more, 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 by definition. Our desires must not become our gods, because that leads to this sort of discontent living. Our goals must not become our idols. I think it's fascinating at the end of 1 John, you know, 1 John's got five chapters, there's so much to see in the book of 1 John, but the very last verse of 1 John, 1 John 5, 21, he finishes it by saying, little children, guard yourselves from idols. Isn't that fascinating? He doesn't say, take care, love you. (laughs) He just says, guard yourselves from idols. That's the last statement of that letter. And there are so many in society that want our idols to be their idols, which is a bigger house, a nicer car, a bigger this, a bigger that, the newest phone. Chase, 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 chase. And you have to keep your schedule so busy, you have to be so distracted to try to get those goals. Well, our goals should not become our idols. It's good to have goals. It's good to improve, to want to grow in life. But goals and desires should never become God's. That leads to very harmful results. We're constantly bombarded in our culture with so much. Our brains were not ha- made to handle this amount of information. I've been thinking about this a lot lately. We have so much stinking information out there that we weren't designed to process. We weren't designed to try to know all the things that we're trying to know and to be so current, to be so up to date, and to keep checking our phone to see if there's any update to the thing that we just found out. We weren't designed for this. Our phones and our computers are always screaming, Do this, know this, react to that. We can't. And in many ways, I feel as though we're victims of the culture, that the culture's just kind of taken off, and here we are as helpless slaves. To this sort of lifestyle. But I do think there are things we can do. We're not totally helpless. And it starts with rejecting any kind of thought that we can become all-wise, we can become omniscient, that we can become omnipresent. You know, that's what so much of the stuff we do on our phones is. We're trying to be omnipresent. You ever sat down with someone who's in the same room as you but is not in the same room as you? Happens all the time, doesn't it? You can only be in one place at one time. Stop trying to be omnipresent. Or someone who just has to be up to date with all the news, all the info. You can't be omniscient. You got one brain and it's way smaller than God's. You can't know everything. You shouldn't try to know everything. It's helpful to slow down and reorient our thinking because if we just join the stream of our society... Well, our pride is bubbling up because what is this thinking that we can be omniscient, omnipresent, but I will make myself like the Most High? That's what that is, isn't it? It's Satan's sin. It's pride. Trying to know all things. So we should make a call for the death of distraction as we consider being responsible to steward our calendars to the glory of God. Let's seek to kill distraction. Romans 12,1 and two, very famous verses. many of you have these verses memorized, I'm sure. Romans 12:1 and 2 talks about what we are to do with our minds. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. You are transformed by the renewing of your mind, not by the distracting of your mind. You're not going to be transformed through distractions You're going to be transformed as you're renewed by God apart from all of those things that take you away from what you're called to do, how you're called to live. Far too often we are so distracted we don't even notice that we're distracted. This is a call to slow down and to think. We have just one life to live. We have just one calendar. We're talking about how we are to use our time. And 1 Corinthians 10.31 reminds us that whether we're eating whether we're drinking, whatever we do, we do all to the glory of God. We steward our calendar to the glory of God. We manage our time to the glory of God, not to puff ourselves up. You're responsible to steward your calendar to the glory of God. The second reminder, that was the first reminder. The second reminder is this, you are not defined by your productivity. You are not defined by your productivity. So this is definitely speaking to the Marthas in the room. (laughs) You are not defined by your productivity. A full schedule is great. Jesus had a full schedule. Many people in the Bible had a full schedule. A full schedule is great as long as it doesn't define you. Because trust me, you will be busy if God desires you to be busy. He will give you a full schedule. But hear me out on this personal productivity should never be the goal. Your own personal productivity should never be the goal. It's the result, rather, of a life given to God. There perhaps are some people who have looked at the life of the Apostle Paul and said, okay, we are to imitate the life of the Apostle Paul. Look what he did. He kept himself so busy. Have you read the book of Acts lately? He was jumping from one city to the next. He was on a boat. He was in a jail. He was doing this. He was doing that. He was writing letters. He was so productive. I want to be productive like Paul. Should we copy his busy life? Well, you're not Paul. And if you're considering imitating his schedule, consider that he was also a tent maker and single. (laughs) So unless you're desiring that sort of life, You might want to consider what your schedule should look like differently than Paul's. His tent making and his singleness were directly tied to his schedule. How did he have so much time? Well, he says in 1 Corinthians 7, he's single so he can give all of his time to the Lord, directly tied to his schedule. But even Paul slowed down. He spent a year and a half in Corinth. He spent three years in Ephesus. He spent lots of time with lots of people that we don't necessarily see in the text. Paul slowed down and spent time with people, looking them in the eyes and caring for them. God will make you busy if He wants you to be. Don't make busyness the goal. And that's because, and this gets at perhaps the most hidden sin, when you make your personal productivity the goal, when you make busyness the goal, it's so easy to fall into self-sufficiency. Maybe the most hidden sin that all of us have to deal with, self-sufficiency, autonomy from God, independence from God, thinking that we can do life on our own, that we can make ourselves, that we can build our own lives. So often when we ask each other, how's it going, we reply with, good, busy. And I kind of wonder, even just for myself, has busy become our verification of I'm doing what I should do, which is rely on myself. I'm self-sufficient, I'm self-made, I'm doing what I should. Do we really mean, when we say that we're busy, that we're sustaining ourselves? Because if so, that is such a harmful and wrong and sinful way of thinking. You see, we are not self-made at all. We are grace-dependent we're not self-made. Psalm 100, verse 3, one of my favorite verses. Psalm 100, verse 3 says, know that the Lord Himself is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. You haven't made yourself. You're not self-made. We are the Lord's people, and we're the sheep of His pasture. And that psalm that Logan read for us at the start, Psalm 121, it says that God helps us, God keeps us, God protects us, God guards us. We are not self-made. We are utterly reliant day in, day out, every moment of your schedule. You are reliant on God's grace. He's the one who enables you to find your car keys. You realize this? I mean, it gets down to the nitty-gritty. He's the one who helped you remember to turn the oven off before you left. We're grace-dependent people. We're not autonomous. We're not self-sufficient. We thank God for these things, don't we? We should, because we are grace-dependent people. You see, busyness often feeds pride because it's so inward-focused. You're so focused on doing more and more, thinking that you can. And when we indulge in this manner of living, In this manner of thinking, we can often make others feel bad if they're not as busy as we are. And that's not right either. You see, we we teach people by the way we talk about our own schedules. We're, We're teaching people something. So we need to really consider how we think and how we speak that we would never want to give the impression in our own hearts or to other people that we are somehow defined by our productivity that we're somehow doing all these tasks thinking we're going to find our identity in the tasks. It's not it. That's not it. Your ability to accomplish tasks does not add worth to your person. I thought it was a great reminder this morning, just in Sunday school, as Tyler was talking about the judgment that all Christians will have, the judgment seat of Christ. And he made just a, a footnote of a comment. That judgment has to do with the quality of our works, not the quantity. The quality of our works, not the quantity of our works. This life isn't about doing all that you can and jamming all that you can into this finite existence that you have. That's not what it's about. Your ability to accomplish tasks does not add worth to your person. Of course, there are certain people in Scripture who are called worthless. You've got Nabal, you have Eli's sons, they're called worthless. In fact, it says in uh, Romans 3, quoting Psalm 14, that all of us who have gone astray, all sinners who are rejecting Jesus Christ, we've become useless or worthless. So there are people who are labeled worthless, but it has nothing to do with their personal productivity and what all they could do with their work capacity. We are to be productive members of society, but we're also to breathe. It's a question I like to ask, especially some of our older guys in the congregation Are you being a productive member of society? If I've asked you that question, now you know I consider you an older guy. Uh, But are you being a productive member of society? Well, also breathe, right? I read just one verse from this passage to you earlier, but I'd like to read a little bit more, 2 Thessalonians 3, where Paul says, if they're not willing to work, then they shouldn't eat either. Let's read four verses here, starting in verse 10, 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 10. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Get a little more context there, don't we? Now, such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren do not grow weary of doing good. And I have a quote here from a man named Reagan Rose, and I thought this was just great. I saw it online several weeks ago, and I had to save it to share it for this sermon. When he talks about Christian productivity, he says this, Christian productivity isn't a quest to do everything we can possibly do. Amen to that. It's a quest to be faithful with what God has given us. And that means accepting and respecting that you have limits, you need rest, and you will fail often. That's a good reminder. And one more, this is a reminder from Martin Lloyd-Jones. Anytime he's written anything that comes across your your vision, keep it, okay? It's all good. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, do not keep a record or an account of your work. (laughs) Amen to that. Give up being bookkeepers, In the Christian life, we must desire nothing but His glory, nothing but to please Him. So do not keep your eye on the clock, but keep it on Him and His work. Do not keep on recording your work and labor. Keep your eye on Him and His glory, on His love, and His honor, and the extension of His kingdom. Keep your attention on that and nothing else. Have no concern as to how many hours you have given to the work, nor how much you have done. In effect, leave the bookkeeping to him and to his grace. Let him keep the accounts. I love that. We must have our eyes on Christ and not on ourselves. If you're to see a basic distinction between Martha and Mary, just where did their eyes go? Mary's eyes were on Jesus, focused on Jesus, listening to Jesus, getting her mission from Jesus. And Martha's eyes distracted, distracted from Jesus, looking at all the things that she thought she had to do in her own strength. I don't often tell men to be Mary's, but let's be Mary. (laughs) Let's not be Martha's. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your instruction for us to keep our eyes fixed on you. You are the author, you are the finisher, the perfecter of faith. And Lord, you hold our hand as we run this race. Thank you. We ask that as we stumble in these areas of getting distracted, that you would gently correct us by your grace, that you would help us not to be bookkeepers, not to count the hours, but to just have your glory as our priority, that we wouldn't find our identity and our productivity, but that we would steward our schedules well to your glory, for your glory for your namesake. God, we love you. We thank you for the gift of grace and for the gift of one another. In Jesus' name, amen.